Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman and I'm the presenter, the host, whatever you want to call me. Um, I've been watching City for a long time, so I always en- enlist some top quality guests. And boy, have I got a top quality guest for you later on in this show. Alex Williams, MBE. Uh, not only uh, was he a great player for City, and he'll talk about that a little bit later on, and he played in some very high profile and very significant games for City, but he was also one of the forerunners, one of the, the early black players to play for the club. And when he retired through injury, um, he went on to be a central part, if not the driving force behind City's charity arm, which is City in the Community, which is, an am- if you've never been involved in it, let me tell you, it is an amazing charity arm of the club, which has grown from next to nothing to this enormous project, which we as Blues can all be very, very proud of. And Alex, not only has he written a book about his life recently, which is another good reason to talk to him, uh, but he's also um, retiring or retiring from that role after 33 years. He's going to continue on. He's still have a connection to the club on a part-time basis, but he's he's given up that job or has now given up that job. So an in-depth interview with Alex Williams, MBE, on the way, who I think, uh, sadly, now we've lost Bernard Holford, the great general secretary, for so many years, read about him if you don't know who that is, but he was Mr. Manchester City to a lot of people. As far as I'm concerned, Alex Williams is Mr. Manchester City, every bit as deserving. So we'll hear from him a little bit later on. My other two guests in the podcast this week are Tony, who is uh, one of our regulars. I always appreciate your contributions, Tony. And also Mark, who is the uh, or one of the representatives on City Matters, which is the the group of City fans that represent different or different parts of the fan base, if you like, um, to air their grievances, put their praise forward, whatever it is, but get their voices in front of the club as your representative. So you could almost say that Mark is an MP. You might not like that comparison, <laughs> but he's like an MP for fans um, at, in the City uh, group. So... Thanks very much to the two of you. Before we talk about City Matters, uh, let, let's talk. I know we're in an international break as we're recording this, but let, let's talk a little bit about the football because the two of you haven't been on for a little while. City have started the season, I would say, perfectly. Four Premier League wins, Super Cup in the trophy cabinet. Before that, the Community Shield, which was decided on penalties. We now know the draw for the Champions League. We draw for the League Cup. And we even know the draw for the World Club Cup in December in Saudi Arabia. So, Tony, where are you now as a, as a fan? I mean, dare I say, in heaven? I mean, it, it really doesn't get much better than this, does it? No, I mean, I mean it's fantastic. And um, and obviously the sort of games and the prestige games that come in uh, Man City's way is is immense from where we were, um, obviously, when, when you're talking about when I kind of first started watching Man City. So, yeah, from that point of view, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um I also think as well that um, in terms of um, attracting press, I think it's very important that Man City are still competing in all of these trophies because I think the press ultimately gets something out of Man City because there's a big interest in what Man City are doing, whether that's in some cases not always uh, what's meant to be or should be perceived. But in terms of the football, I think it's, it's probably on par with it well it is it, it's the best football in the world um you know we, we we can we can sit at any table from that point of view and and we've established that and and I think it's fantastic 
Um, so from my point of view, I think um, bring these games on and, um, you know, we look forward to them. There are always challenges and there's still, and I'm sure Mark might agree as well, is because we are fans from, from a different era. I still have that intrepidation, whoever we play. And I always look at other teams thinking this possibly might be the game where we could come and start, you know. So I don't think you ever lose that. Um, you know, maybe the, you know, the generation that is now probably don't because they've only seen one side of Man City. But certainly from my point of view, there is that intrepidation. Um, but generally, kind of games seem to be, dare I say, programmed in, in a way that they they, they kind of take care for, take care of themselves. And, and it just seems so organised, um, you know, going into the depth of, of, of the way that new players come in. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the new players, but just the way that the new players come in and they just adapt. Um, you know, they might not necessarily reach the heights of, of where it's expected them to be, but we kind of accept that it's it's next season when we'll see see the best of them. But they do play their part during the first time that they're with the club as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of all rosy in the garden, really. Intrigued to know what your perception of the Super Cup and the World Club Cup is, because I went out to Greece. I was very lucky enough to be able to go out there and, and watch the game. Um, but I also heard, I don't know, I wouldn't like to put a percentage on it, but let's say 50-50 split between some fans saying it's a nothing competition, what we're even playing in it for, it doesn't matter. And another 50% saying, oh no, this is another trophy. And I was at a Blues in Business event last Friday where the four trophies were there. Um, and having the Super Cup there, which is a lovely trophy, was great. And you have to earn that. But sure. as I say, some people going, it's just like a European charity shield. Uh, yeah. You obviously will have followed that game on TV. So you will have seen the build up and how the media talks about it. And you just mentioned then about the media and, and getting yourself in front of the media, which is a very good point. How did how did you and how did the media perceive the Super Cup? And how do you think they'll perceive the World Club Cup in December? OK, I, I mean, in regards to the Super Cup, I'm... I, I'm... I think it was billed as, as 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 what it is. It's basically the, the you know the two sides that have that have won their respective European competitions. So it has some sort of kudos as as regards to that. I don't think it's at the level that maybe the press kind of build it up to, or that the game is certain build up to. But I also think as but on the other side, I think it would probably also depend on what club uh, from uh, an English point of view is in that. I do feel that because Man City are in it they kind of get that back in um within the game as opposed to maybe another club being in it um because we've we've earned that right to be at that level um in terms of the um you know the world club uh, the world club uh, championship um the way that it looks to me that it's set up is that um it's set up really that that, that man city should reach the final and play a team and i'm sure within that um setup it's expected that Man City and and a a another will will be the two teams that play in that uh, in that final. I'm you not convinced the South American be. champions. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that it's the best way. And I'm sure from a, I, I think from a squad point of view and a playing point of view, I think it's great. You're experiencing all these um, these opportunities to play in various countries and 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 I get experience from that point point of view. But I think from a fan point of view. It's it's another cup competition. Um, I think it should really be a one-off as opposed to playing in uh, a semi-final and then potentially a final. 
because it's right in the middle of uh, a busy kind of Christmas period, if I'm not mistaken. As um, you know, so on at some point the games that 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 we're not playing, I think it might be the Brentford game or whatever, but the games that we're not playing then has to be fitted in. So from that point of view, does it does it benefit uh, Man City in their in their uh, quest to retain the league title? It does put extra pressure on it. What about I, you, though? I mean, go on, Mark. I have a slightly different view, to be honest. I think that, um, I mean, obviously, we're local fans, go to the games, and, and and Man City should always keep its eye on its core base and make sure that it doesn't lose touch with that. But let's be really clear about this. Man City are going for some kind of world domination of the best football in the world, and we're getting there. Winning the European Cups puts you on a completely different level in terms of how you perceived around the world, you know, right out to the Far East, right out to all parts of the world. So Pep's got it right to a degree. It's hard to get into the Super Cup final. You've got to win the European Cup. So, you know, you should you should think this might never happen again. You know, you might never, ever play it again. So I, I think you can do both. You know, you can think, oh, God, we've got to fit another match in against Bournemouth or something. You know, I can't remember playing. Brentford, but, um, Brentford not Bournemouth. So you've got to fit another match, but and that's true. But this team's every time there's a challenge put in front of this team. You've got the number of times people say, Oh, look at February or something, we've got to play the top three out of the top five, and then we go and beat them all. You know, every time we put something in the way of this team, seems to bring out the best in us. And actually, I, I, although I'm old school and I worry about this game, and I worry every game I've watched through my fingers almost, you know, I love the team, but I'm still watching through my fingers a bit. I do think that they've proved time and time and time again that any challenge put in front, they just grab it and have a real go at it. And I actually think they really wanted to win that European Super Cup. I felt like the charity shield was, it didn't matter quite as much as we won it so many times before. That was a big deal. And I think it probably means a lot in, in other parts of the world where City are trying to expand our influence, our support. Uh, and I think that's to you know if you we should want this club to be the best it can be wherever we we were in the pyramid, even if we weren't it where we are now. So I think it's a real great opportunity. And 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 if you remember the um, what they now call the World Club Championship used to be a one-off game or a two-leg game, I think, between the South yeah. American champs European. So what they've tried to do is give interest in other parts of the world. So Asia's got a team in it, for example. Yeah. They'll all watch it, therefore, and therefore they'll be interested in the semi-final and, and whoever we end up getting to play in, in, in our round. So I, I I agree with you. It puts a bit of pressure on the team and on the squad. But in the looking at the bigger picture, I think City are absolutely made up that we've got this opportunity to show the City brand, the City brand of football all over the world. So, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a modernist. I'm going to say it's a good thing. Of course, in the summer of 2025, it's going to go on to a whole different level. It's going to be like a mini World Cup. 32 teams, yeah. City are one of them, played all over America. Um, so I guess it's going to go on for a month or so. Yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm right that we're already in that because yeah. of what we've already done. Yeah, I thought so. It's not what, you know, like we'd have, if it was as it is now, we'd have to win the European Cup again. But we're already in that. And that's, you know, everyone's going to, who's a traditionalist like us, it's going to, well, that bloody hell are they doing during the season playing these games? But the club don't see it that way. The club see it as a big opportunity to be world champions, basically, to be the best team in the world and keep improving. And I, I love that about the club at the moment. It's, you know, for all the challenges of taking your core support with you and stuff, which I that's my 
I see it almost as my role um, in on City Matters, as, along with my colleagues. You know, the moving forward thing, you've got to keep moving forward and improving the club. And I think it's a great opportunity for us. Yes, and to be honest, Mark, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. Right. Um, but I think we also remember that Manchester United kind of um, uh, originally were in this kind of position where they were playing in this um, World Club Championship, yeah. and and it was threatened at the time that they were kicked out of uh, uh, one of the uh, prestigious. Well, in fact, they did. They, they dropped asked, they out took themselves, didn't they? they yeah, but I think they were. Yeah, and what I wouldn't want to do is at the expense of if we were ever put in no, a position I agree with that, that um but and and as long as we've got the the backing of the premier league and yeah. uh, you know it, it's things like fixtures because we, we only have to look at obviously other countries where their sides are dominating europe they seem to allow them that extra time to recover yeah, yeah. to not yeah. play too many games that's my worry yeah. is that we although we recognize it that it's it's great for the english premier league we don't seem to help the the sides ultimately that are in it because they end no. up having to to play silly silly games or so many yeah, yeah. games in so many days sort of thing. It, so that's that's my only worry really. Yeah. In terms of the team start to see, but you don't mind just saying one line on that. Ian. We're not playing that well. We can play <laughs> miles better than that. And Liverpool and and Tottenham are getting all giddy because they've not played this well for years, and there's still two points behind us. So. We're, we've not even got into our stride yet. No John Stones in any of the first game. Hardly any Kevin De Bruyne. Bernardo and Foden both out injured and ill at different moments. Wait till they're all fit. <laughs> we'll actually start playing. And we've got Newcastle out of the way, which is always a tricky game, you know. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I can't believe the start to the season. It's the best start we've had for years, in fact, isn't it? And there's another, there's another positive that I would take. I actually think that... Uh, the, obviously, this has been happening for a while, but the perfect pitches that they play on today suit yeah. City. I think the fact that referees have now been instructed to add extra time on for all stoppages, so we're playing consistently eight, nine, ten minutes of injury time, where other teams who who focus their game on running and power and long balls and physicality. Yeah, yeah. City play on the floor. I mean, I've just been watching by coincidence on my phone um, a 44-pass move that led to Gundogan's goal against United in the derby under the silver company regime. But it's still the same under Pep. It's all about economy of movement, passing and all the rest of it. And actually, modern football with... Even though I'm not a big fan of VAR, but uh, forensic uh, looking at people being offside, um, the longer minutes that people are playing, or I think all suit city style of play, and they can probably play more games because of that as well. So I think there's a lot of positives come from the way that Pep's team play in the sort of modern era. Um, so that's where we are at the moment. Uh, I want to talk a little bit. I know this is we will hear from Alex Williams later on, but I want to talk a little bit of off the field matters as well because once we're in the season and we're playing every three games, there's less of a window to slot it into this, which is a weekly podcast. And so we've got Mark. So let me just ask a few questions to you now, Mark. About well, let me start by saying, where are we up to with City Matters? I mean, I'm not across everything like you are. What are the things that are being discussed? What are the the things that people are getting upset about? What are the people at a club are being praised for? So it can be pro-negative, it can be anything you want, but what is the conversation that's happening at the moment? 
it's it's the bread and butter stuff quite often. It's uh, are the club running, um, you know, club organised trips to European matches, um, and that's a challenging environment. I sound like a club spokesman here because that's what they say to me. It's a challenging environment, but I think it genuinely is. I think it's hard to find planes, and they're expensive, and that's why it costs so much per person to fly on the club trip to Istanbul for the Champions League. So that I'm always saying to them. I've got people coming to me saying what's happening with the club trip. I think the club have definitely confirmed they're doing one for Leipzig. Uh, it looks like they're not going to do one to Switzerland. Um, and that's to do with cost and it's, uh, it's um, uh, half term and all sorts of things there. And they're trying to do one to Red Star Belgrade. So I do believe the club, they're trying the best. They just find it difficult. That's a bit of a live issue for some people at the moment. And I'll tell you what's a, a live issue that's going to, get more and more difficult as we get um, through the season is we've got more people wanting to watch Manchester City. We've got more... The Haaland signing was a game-changer in terms of that, I think. Now, what you hear is your hardcore fan who goes every week moaning about what they call tourists. But it doesn't matter what you call them. There are people who want to come and watch Manchester City play. And that's City fans who haven't got a season ticket, who want to come to a game, you know, you know. And we have got people who just want to come and see the football that we play. And we shouldn't really be upset about that. But what we do need to do is make sure the club look after those people, A, who followed the team when it wasn't so good, and make sure that, you know, your regular fans get a good and fair uh, bite at the cherry when, when, um, when the tickets become available. So I work with them and so do other people on City Mats all the time to try and get that side of it right. And it's a balance, you know. They know that the season ticket holder type fan is going to come and come to a lot of the games, but they want to grow the fan base. And that to do that, they need to give those people, and some of them are new fans. Let's not pretend why shouldn't we have new fans. Some of those people, a chance to get a ticket for a game. It's probably easier when it's a Champions League or an FA Cup game because we've got 36,000 season ticket holders out of 50,000 tickets available. For a um, for a Premier League game, so there aren't loads of tickets floating around for these people who are not season ticket holders. It's only four, you know. There's only fourteen left, so it's all about the balance, and the and we, we need to make sure we look after both sides of it. But I try and hold their feet to the fire when it comes to season ticket holders. That's the biggest challenge. One of the, the uh, topics that came up when Alex Williams was a guest at the Blues in Business lunch the other day, and he volunteered it himself, was somebody asked him about that type of subject that you're talking about, ticket yeah. distribution. And he says it is the main thing that people talk to him about. And his answer is always along the lines of, um, well, what would you rather do? Go back to the old club when you could get tickets or the problem of trying to get a ticket in the modern club? Even yeah. that, though, even th even though nobody in that room came back on him, I know that there are fans out there who will say, yeah, but I quite preferred it in the old days when I could go with my mates and, you know, and it was a lot easier. It, it, yeah. but whichever way you look at it, this is a conundrum which is impossible to sort out yeah. in a way that everybody's happy with, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's the, it's the classic case. We've got the same number of tickets we had five years ago we got loads more people wanting tickets. The, the, the supply hasn't gone up. The demand's gone through the roof. The club the club have been caught out by it. I mean, it's only my opinion. But they opened, they really pushed these match day memberships where you pay 35 quid for the season and you get um, a, a priority. You don't get the priority because season ticket holders do. We get a priority. 
And somebody who might have been a match day member for 25 years had very similar priority to somebody who bought it the day before. And they didn't think it was going to be a problem because I'm not sure City are always the best at spotting problems before they arrive. And like the classic was Real Madrid in the semi-final last year when it was open house, the website crashed, everybody was all over to get these extra tickets. So there weren't loads of tickets because season ticket holders on the cup scheme were guaranteed. So I don't know how many there were available. There's just so many people wanted to, and they haven't really thought it through. So we're trying to get them to think about how do we make it a more manageable and fairer process? So, you you know, you want the club to grow. You want fans to get the chance to come. We want to come and watch you. Why shouldn't a new fan come? Um, and, uh, but we also have to look after people who've been following the club for years. It's a difficult balance. It's the, it's the main reason why they want to expand the stadium by 7,000. Because the, those tickets, they are convinced they can sell 7,000 extra tickets for most uh, Premier League home games and cup games. Which brings us on to perhaps another talking point that you might be discussing, which is the disruption that's caused behind uh, the North Stand. Obviously, the yeah. shop's gone. I know they've moved over to where City at Home used to be and the Mercedes garage used to be. It's quite a long walk now around that end if you want to get from one end to the other. And the Summerby Bar, if people don't know this, is now almost an open-air bar opposite yeah. the stand, which is a reflection of the main stand entrance. Has that been an issue? Is that something that people talked about? Do you know what? That's gone better than I thought it would because it's, you know, that's gone quite well. It's because people have got there early on the first couple of games, got used to it. The club have been pretty organised or whoever's doing it for the club. So I haven't had loads of really bad reports about it. Even people, some of the, we've lost some turnstiles, obviously. So people have to go into all the turnstiles. I think City fans, probably fearing the worst, have actually gone early and got used to it. So fingers crossed, so far, so good on that front. Um, but that's going to continue for quite some time yet. We're going to have a real problem when, I don't think it's this season, I think it'll be next, when some people in the North Stand are going to have to relocate um, while some of the work's been going on. But a lot of them won't, actually. It's it's fewer seats than you would think to add that extra. It's like an extra tier. It won't be three tiers, it'll be two. But it's almost like putting an extra tier on. They're going to make it like work as one. So, yeah, that's done okay, to be honest. I've not had tons of... Uh, reports of problems in that regard. So fair play to the club in in in, that, in terms of that. What I am, what we do need to do is keep talking to the club about what they're going to do with that stand and the knock on effects around the ground. So obviously, I'm not daft. They're going to try and increase hospitality seating, probably on level two of Colin Bell and, and the East. Uh, so some people in there might find the prices going up. They want to move to the the new seats or somewhere else. So you've got to manage that well and look after people again, not just think you're moving whether you like it or not. Um, and I'd like to talk to them more about the number of season ticket holders we have. I, I do recognise we have quite a lot. We have 36,000 a lot for uh, a stadium of our size. Like Liverpool have less than uh, 30, they have 20 odd. So we have got, you know, it's not a bad number, but we don't have any new ones available to buy at the moment. So basically, if you if you want to buy one for your son or your daughter, you can't. There's no new ones. And that's been like that for two or three years. So I'm hoping once we get closer to the end of that project, they'll release some new ones. We need some new blood. You know, you should have some kind of churn, as they call it. You know, as people let the season tickets go, I think people should be able to buy those. Um, they should go back into the pot. They, they wouldn't do it this season. And we specifically asked them to. And they said no. And I think it's because they need room to move people around while they're doing this work. 
So yeah, yeah. we'll we'll see how that conversation goes on season tickets. Are there any discussions yet about the impact logistically of the new arena when that opens? Yeah, the biggest problem there, and it's my view again, is transport. The transport situation. Some people, I, I mean, some people find it okay, but I get complaints about that kind of thing. They say, but I'm not convinced, I'll be honest with you, that they'll manage the demand. So when there's a pop concert on and we're not playing, it doesn't matter, and vice versa. If we've got a three o'clock kickoff, it might not affect, you know, some people will be leaving the stadium as some are arriving type thing. But I think there's going to be clashes from time to time. You can see a Champions League night being a problem when we kick off at eight o'clock, maybe the concert starts at seven or something. But they say that they're going to um, put more, they're going to put resources into it. What They're not saying what that is yet. Uh, and they're trialling things like running coaches and things like that. So uh, they need to do more, in my view, on transport, because I'm not convinced that they've that they've not really like done a war game. But what's the worst thing that happens when 23,000 people go to a concert there and we've got people going to a, Champions League game, we could have fifty. But in that, by then, we'll have sixty thousand. You know, in another two years, so nearly hundred thousand people knocking around trying to get to the same place. So that I, I'm worried about that, and I've raised it continuously. But I'll be honest with you, the club are not covering themselves in glory on that front, in my opinion. The other question I was going to ask you is the I've saw something about some Premier League uh, thing, or or the club wanting to create a new group of people, um, and with City Matters already existing, I was getting a little bit confused as to what was going on and why there might need to be another group. Um, can you clarify what that is and, and how it, how it's going to work? It sounds like, well, what I do know is that the Premier League, are fr- as a, an organisation, are frightened to death of the government imposing a, like a, a football regulator on them, like a czar to oversee what they do. They're, they, they're now saying to government, look, we're already consulting fans. We've got this brilliant new plan. So they're making each Premier League club have a fan engagement team, committee, if you want to call it that. We've already got ours, and not a lot of clubs don't have it. So they're having to set one up from new. They're all setting them up very differently, it looks to me. Like Liverpool haven't got one, so they're now they're having like Spirit of Shankly on it and all those groups. We've already got ours, so I think they're going to stick with ours tweak it a little bit to fit what the Premier League wants. So it sounds like a new group, but it's pretty much City Matters Mark II, I think. And I don't think the, that much changed from, from what we're doing now. What will change is the club will have to sign up to certain things. They, they do it a bit off the cuff at the moment because because it's not an re- actual requirement. They do it because they want to. You know, minutes don't always go out on time and all that kind of stuff. They're going to have to be a bit more organised and do it because it's now a requirement to be a Premier League club. So that's a good thing. But I don't think there'd be much change in that regard. There is something that I've not mentioned. Um, we've got a meeting with UEFA coming up. Um, and that's the club talking to UEFA with City Matters reps on it. And I should be at that meeting to talk about what happened in Istanbul. So we're trying to be positive. Yeah, we don't want to um, be negative about it. We want to say these were the problems. We'd like UEFA to recognise the were problems a bit more strongly than they have. I'm very, very disappointed at City. I've made a strong statement about how fans were treated. Maybe they will after the meeting, but they, they're keeping their powder dry, which I think is a shame. It should have come out. But we've got that meeting next week, um, and we'll see what comes out of it. UEFA are going to be around the table with us and with the club. Anything else we should know about, Mark? 
Uh, I think that's most things that are the, the big live issues. There's always stuff going on, but yeah, they're the big ones. Well, thanks for bringing us up to speed and all that. We're very much appreciated and keep up the good work. Tony, you've been listening to all, all that. I mean, you're a fan. You're a fan like me, you know, mm. like lots of people listening to this. You've yeah. got the ear of Mark, who is a representative on City Matters. Is there anything you want to say to him or any concerns that you have or any of the subjects you've just heard him talk about that you've got strong opinions on? Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the, the, the ticket situation, Mark, um, yeah. I know obviously, you know, lots of people have various views on that. Um, would you be against um, ballots? Because I know that like Manchester United and Liverpool, they tend to have ballots for tickets as opposed yeah. to, uh, you know, uh, the, the process they go through. Do you think that's a fairer way to spread to spread the love, as it were, for, for other people to come and see Man City, or or would that offend people? Do you know what? I it's only my opinion. I listen to what people say all the time because I always think I can give my opinion. What I like to do is try and represent the fan view. So I try and take soundings, and then sometimes it's not what I would say. Sometimes it isn't really. So uh, so I, when people say to me about a ballot, I say, well, we have to like all these changes that we make. We have to think it through a little bit. What are the implications of a ballot? A bit like what are the implications for loyalty points? You know, personally, I don't think a ballot is the best way to go when you've got a loyalty point system. For are we talking about away games or home games? Because that's the that's the other thing. For for home games, um, we don't have a ballot at all. And for away games, we have the point system. And the point yeah. system actually works better than people realize the thing. I think most fans who haven't got loads of points, whatever that point in the system might be, think they'll never get a ticket for an away game. And that's actually not true. For example, Wolves went this season already. Wolves went to low points. Um, Newcastle's gone to no points whatsoever in the League Cup. So there are opportunities for people to get to games. And I actually worry that if we had a ballot, people would end up passing the tickets on in any event. So, you know, somebody yeah. doesn't go to away games, I'd ask my mate to go in the ballot. If I don't get one, can I have his ticket? There'd be all sorts of shenanigans going on there, I think. So I, I'm not mm. a fan of ballots because the, I think the point system works better than it's given credit for. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing about the point system, people say to me who don't like the point system, say, why should the people with the with the with all these points who just happen to be older and gone to loads of games over many years, why should they get all the tickets? But that's not how it works. They get the first go at the tickets. They don't get all the tickets. So we get something like 60% of the away tickets going to points holders and it falls down on a sliding scale. And it's, if you want, if you don't go to away games but would like to go to some, you should look every time and keep an eye on the, on the points as they fall. You will definitely get opportunities to go to matches. It's just that you can't pick and choose which ones. You know, you yeah. might find yourself going to West Ham on a, on a Saturday because that's gone to low points, relatively speaking. So there are opportunities, and I, I actually think the club have done a good job just lately in using social media to let people know that the points levels fall in so that they know they can get a ticket. So I, I must admit, I've heard of people saying ballots, but I don't I don't think we need to do that, and I don't think it would particularly solve the problem. 
Yeah. Of course, they also I mean, the reason the supporters clubs, don't they? I mean, the supporters club get an allocation. And if you're a member of a supporters club, in theory, you could have no points and you would still have a chance of getting a ticket. Or, of course, there's the 18 to 25-year-old group too. So there yeah. is, I, I actually think the club are doing as good a job as they can possibly do under yeah. the circumstances. But you, yeah. you totally might have a different view. Well, I, I mean, I do understand it, but going back to um, a, a supporters club, and obviously I'm not going to name names, but but ultimately um, they purposely work off a, a point system. So what invariably happens is that same set of people kind of have, have a double dip. Um, and that's where I think in some cases, that's maybe from a supporters club where people have joined. And if you're joining a supporters club, um, you know, if, if you're joining just to be in the supporters club and maybe go to see people like yourself, Ian, and and, and, and other uh, people related to Man City to hear them speak or to, to go and pick up a book, that's fine. But genuinely, I would have thought and uh, that being a member of a supporters club, in theory, it, you're hoping that it gives you an opportunity to get a ticket. Now, if, if the supporters club have a similar situation like Man City do with a point system then in theory, it's going to the people who've got the most points. Um, I know you're saying, my experience of going, my, in my experience of going to these branches, and they will all be different, so there's no yeah. set pattern on this, is that I've heard, because I've been sat there, like you say, when I've invited as a guest, and I've listened to what their discussions are at their mini-meeting beforehand, and I've often heard them, the chairman or whoever's leading the meeting saying things like, if you've got the points, don't go through the supporters club. You know, you apply for your ticket separately so that the people who are members of this supporters club who don't normally have the chance to get a ticket can have, be more likely to get those tickets. And I think, again, that's a sensible thing to say. So if you were a, a, a member of a supporters club and you might not have a lot of points, I don't know what your situation is, Tony, mm -hmm. that you could go to your chairman and say, listen, I've not got a lot of points. Um, can you consider me, please? And that the people who have got the points, if I was a member of the same branch, then I should not be taking your ticket away. And I, and I think that's what a lot of them try to do. I, I accept that they try to do, but like I say, I've got evidence that that's not always the case. Um, but like I say, I'm not going to divulge in terms of a particular supporters club. And it's been a, a bone of contention ultimately because... As we say, it tends to be the same set of people that tend to get the opportunity to go to these games. And that particular supporters club has now introduced a ballot system. Now, it it, it got voted on. Um, it was very tight, but it got voted on. And there was criteria with that in the sense that the top six games, or the, sorry, the top top games, they weren't going to be affected, et cetera, et cetera. So... Um, and you were limited to certain games and what have you. But but basically, that was a big change for that particular supporters club um, in terms of going... Yeah, yeah it's interesting what you say, Tony, because when I'm talking about distribution of tickets, if I'm being really honest, I'm talking about the 60% of tickets that go to points holders. So supporters clubs, the OSC, the official supporters club, and its its clubs, its supporters clubs, they operate very separately. It's almost like its own little separate universe. where yeah, they're connect. Yeah, they're, they're allocated their twenty percent of tickets, and you're right. Supporters clubs operate slightly differently from each other, and all that kind of thing. It is its own its own little universe, and and I have I'm not in a supporters club, and I don't really have knowledge of that. So I'm really just so you you could make an argument for if you if you want more people to have more access to tickets. I always say 
look at the 40% that don't go to points holders. Don't look at the 60 that do. So the 40% that don't go to points holders got to supporters clubs, and I'm not being critical, but, you know, 20% do. 15% go to hospitality. You could argue that's a number that needs to come down quite easily, couldn't you? And then 5% to players and staff. So actually, if you were to make some changes that were meaningful, I think the relatively democratic version of points for going to actual matches is a good one. And it's the 40% that don't go into that that need looking at to see if we can make improvements, not the bit about points. But you make some really good points about how the whole thing... Why this is a live issue is everybody wants to watch this football team. Exactly. I get, yeah. And it's a nice problem to have in some ways. I get people who are in supporters clubs get in touch with me and say, Mark, I used to be always be able to get a ticket through my supporters club and suddenly I can't. What are the club playing at? I said, well, your supporters club. There's now more supporters clubs than ever before. They've grown. We don't get more tickets for Man United away or uh, Liverpool away. They're the same as they've always been. So the number of tickets for an away game is the same. But suddenly there's more supporters clubs and there's more members in supporters clubs. So yeah. not all, so actually, that's the reason you're struggling from time to time. So yeah. it is, it's a nice problem to have, but it's, it is something that comes to me all the time. And, and yeah. I actually think where the reform needs to take place is probably to that 40% that's not done via points. Right, yeah. Let me ask you, too, about um, a different subject now, because the longer we go on about that, I mean, you've, you've both of you have been very succinct in what you've said and, and added value to what that discussion. So I hope people have found that interesting. But we're going to hear from Alex Williams in a moment or two. Um, and I'm guessing that both of you have come across Alex. You've certainly watched him play and you know the job that he's been doing. So before we hear from the man himself... Um, have you had any personal contact, Tony, with Alex Williams and, and what would be what I mean, I personally think that if they put a statue outside the Etihad of Alex Williams. I'd have no problem with it. I mean, he has done as much for the club as anybody. He might not have scored winning goals in Champions League finals and all the rest of it, but in terms of being part of the club in every sense, he's the man. So I, I can't hold him in higher esteem. What's your view, Tony? I, I, I mean, I, I, to I totally echo what you've said. And, and obviously, I remember him from the days of obviously setting up, um, you know, the um, the official um, club shop and or being, sorry, being in the club shop when it was when it was basically just a, a small building and he was upstairs. So I remember it all from there and the hard work that he did. I've met him quite a few times on the training ground at, um, at, at when we were at Platte Lane and, and, and the likes. So, yeah, I, I, he's, he's just always been around the club. And I think that in some cases we kind of, we, we look at, we, we look sometimes of these type of people in terms of what their playing level did. And I think sometimes he is overlooked when we talk about these great players. And when I say great players, I mean players that have been great for Manchester City. Um, and we tend to overlook players. And, and I think that uh, for me, I think that he has been overlooked in, in some cases when we talk about these these great players. But certainly from, from my point of view, um, I, I, I've met him on, on many occasions. Obviously, when we were, we used to do Blue, uh, Blue Tuesday in the studio, um, I had, you know, I've had many conversations with him. And he's such a fantastic, fantastic person. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Total gentleman. What's your experience, sir, Mark? Yeah, he's to me, he's a Manchester City hero. You know, he's up there in the proper pantheon of Manchester City heroes for all the right reasons. Um, selfless, um, committed to Manchester City and Manchester and the people. Um, people look up to him, but 
unbelievably humble. You couldn't you couldn't wish for a better representative for Manchester City. And to do to be to to like emerge as that person in the eighties, which was a pretty grim time in terms of race relations in, in football right. and in you know the north of England and you know poor parts of the country, he was an absolute shining light and still is. I actually think you're dead right. Some people embody the spirit of what your football club is, and Alex Williams is that. Well, I don't think we can say any more than that. Now maybe is the time to to hear from the man himself. Um, and as you will hear, he, he is very humble. And when he talks about the racism that he, he suffered, which we br briefly mentioned in the interview, he almost plays it down. That's the man that he is. Um, but he is a, a giant as far as I'm concerned in every sense of the word. So um, thanks very much to Tony and Mark for their contributions to the podcast. Um, and now let's hear a little bit of uh, the one and only Alex Williams MBE in conversation. So, Alex, um, as far as I'm concerned, um, you are one of the ultimate legends of this football club. Um, you may not have won the treble. Um, you may not have won, you know, all the individual honours the game can have. But nevertheless, you grew up in Moss Side. You've lived the dream. You've driven the um, city and the community forward. Uh, you've been rewarded quite correctly with an MPE. And now it's all over. I mean, where, how do you look back on your achievements and the high standard that you are held by by all City fans? Um, it seems as though it's gone quite quick, to be honest. 33 years with the foundation and then 12 years prior to that as a player. Uh, it was just a privilege to play for the club I supported as a boy, being a Moss Side boy as well, uh, Black Afro-Caribbean, you know, added spice to my story. Um, and then after a short uh, successful career uh, through injury I finished and fell into the community work which had I uh, you know had the opportunity to write my own job description and come up with my perfect job that would have been it. You obviously grew up as you say in Moss Side what what your parents reaction when you started to emerge as this sort of talent because they must have known that you you had an exceptional talent when you were a kid. They did, but they didn't understand the football system, which helped me really, because to them, Manchester City was just probably a local town football club. They didn't realise it was a top professional club. And that was good in the respect that they didn't pressurise me. They didn't, you know, I, I've worked in academies and seen how some parents can pressurise their, their own children, but that didn't happen for me. And that really helped me. I could just go, I was relaxed. I had a great youth coach with Steve Fleet, former Man City goalkeeper, to uh, understudy to the great Bert Troutman. And we had a great relationship. How did you end up being a goalkeeper? Was that just because you were brave throwing yourself around? Um, a little bit of both, really. Brave. I was quite agile. You know, I was always um, very athletic, great reflexes. So it just seemed to fit the bill with my sort of strengths, really. I, I did play outfield as a child as well. I always fancied myself as a bit of a striker, as all young kids do. But, uh, you know, the goalkeeping thing, I found quite easy and fell into it quite quite well. At the beginning of your career, the world was very different than it is now. And it's it's a sad reflection, really, that racism was far more predominant. What what was that like for you growing up? Did, did you suffer from that a lot? Yeah, I did as a child. Uh, my first encounter was walking into a local chip shop in Levenshume and there was a chap there who looked like he had a skirt on and he was saying things to me which I didn't understand. 
And when I picked my bag of chips up, the woman said he was red-faced. And it was only later on in life I realised uh, he was a Scotsman with a kilt on. You know, and it, I, I'm not talking for all Scots people, of course, but, uh, you know, he was saying strange things to me about, you know, you don't see many black people with a kilt on, do you? And that's when I realised it wasn't a dress, it was a, a kilt. <laughs> How did you deal with that? I mean, that, that that I can't imagine what it must be like because obviously I've not been through it. Yeah, it was. I was only a kid, so I didn't understand it. And you know, there is good and bad in everybody. So you know, I'm not for any uh, reason singling out anybody from a particular part of the UK. You know, you can walk into your local shop and and get abuse. And even now, you know, sometimes I get some strange looks off people. But um, most people now know me, especially locally. And uh, you know, it, it, it's got a lot better, but there still needs to be work in that area. The, the great Bernard Holford, who was the club's general secretary for so many years, was known by many people, including me, as Mr Manchester City. And these days, that's a title I would definitely give you for everything that you've you've done. Um, but obviously, you went through a different process than he did. He was always behind the scenes and you're out there, you were a player. Um, and I, I just wonder when eventually the moment came that you got the the chance to represent the club that you'd supported, your local club. What was like that like for you, and just as importantly for your family? Yeah, it was great. I mean, uh, John Bond was the manager at the time, March nineteen eighty one. I got the nod just about two hours before kick off. Um, that I would be playing, and uh, it helped me in the respect that I didn't have time to really think about it. I thought overnight that I might play, but until you actually know, um, so that did help me. You know, I, I I didn't have time to get worried. It was just a case of going out and, you know, with all due respect, it is just another match, even though it's in front of probably 45,000 people. Was your mum there, your dad there? Um, I didn't know at the time because I told them I didn't want them to go because it might have made me nervous knowing they were in the, the stand. And uh, my dad was uh, a really big, strong chap. He's six foot five and he'd always had labouring jobs, lifting and carrying, so he was quite muscly. And um, he, he, he wouldn't tolerate any critique or racism. And uh, I thought, I don't really want him there because if somebody shouts something, if I make a mistake, you know, I could see my dad sort of in my mind jumping up and challenging the person who said something and I just didn't need that added pressure. It must have been great after the game. That Presumably you met up with them after the game and I, I'm just imagining the face, you know, the, your mum's face particularly. What, what does your mum look like when she's just seen you play? And yeah, then she realises City's a big deal. Yeah, I think they were both very proud. Uh, my dad used to work at Walls, I think, in the time in uh, just outside Middleton, I think he was, um, or Hyde, sorry. And... Uh, when he went into work, I think that's when it really hit him when all his mates were saying, oh, was that your son? Um, but on the day, it was great. Um, I think I actually won man of the match as well. And it was presented in the old sort of players lounge. And that's when I first realised they were at the game because I think Joe Corrigan had actually got them in there. He didn't even know they were there at all till afterwards. No, no. But as I said, that was quite a good thing because I would have been a bit worried or nervous knowing they were in the stand. So once you start playing and you become a, a regular, um, I mean, we could go through your whole career, but what are the, I suppose the highs and the lows of the games that people who are City fans will have in their minds anyway? Yeah. And within a year or two of each other, didn't they? Yeah, they were. Um, roughly two years, about the same time at the end of the season. In those days, City always were dramatic at the end of the season, a la 
QPR with Aguero. But uh, the first one, of course, was Luton Town, where we were relegated, uh, Radiantish goal. Um, that was a really bad day and a tough day for us to take because I think that season we hadn't been uh, in the bottom three at any stage and we only actually fell into it after the Luton Town game. Uh, Radianti scored the goal and he went on to manage Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. So he did well out of putting a, a ball past me. But it was nice to be ever present two years later, play all 42 league games and we beat Charlton Athletic 5-1 to go up on goal difference. So in my own mind, I felt if anybody wanted to point the finger, then I sort of rectified it by being uh, in the team two years later. But to be fair, the City fans were great with me. I never had an issue. I play bowls a little bit at the moment. When I have a bad day, I do actually think about it. I've even dreamed about it. I'm not yeah. saying I've had a bad day, by the way, against Luton. Yeah. Yeah. Radiantish goal. Did he yeah. hold for a while or did you just move on from it? No, I moved straight on. I did talk to Kevin Bond after the match and Kevin, it, a ball came over and I punched it clear and as it bounced at the feet of Radianti, she hit it on what we call the half volley. So as the ball touches the ground, he strikes it at the same time. And if you do it perfectly, you get a fantastic clean strike. And it went right in the corner and I got my fingers to it and Kevin Bond said, if I hadn't have touched it, it was coming straight to him. But I'd seen Kevin Bond's touch in training and I wouldn't have wanted to leave it. <laughs> I'm only joking, Kevin, if you <laughs> Sadly, your career came to a premature end, a bit like my great hero, Colin Bell. You didn't, you couldn't play on as long as you would have wanted, we would have wanted. Um, that must have been tough to take, I presume, when that happens. It was, but ironically, I knew... Prior to announcing it, I probably would never play a top flight again. I had um, part of my disc removed, uh, the base of my spine, and it damaged the sciatica in my right leg quite badly. I let it get too bad. So I always knew I would struggle to get back to full fitness. So in my own mind, I just thought, get as fit as you can, try and have uh, as much as a normal life. And if I do get to play some type of football, that's a bonus. So that's all I was thinking. But I carried on for 18 months. I left and went to Port Vale. And I wasn't getting any better at one point. And I just thought, you know, I'm not being fair to myself, not being fair to the Port Vale fans and the players I'm playing with. And I actually just uh, went in the next day to see John Rudge at the time who was the manager and said uh, that was it. Very typically magnanimous of you. Um, what What's the next thing that you think then? Do you think I'm going to create my own job for me, my dream job, and create this city in the community over the top of the shop at, at the old main road? How did that happen? Were you just in the right place at the right time? I was. Um, just about that time, Gordon Taylor and Mickey Burns, a former player both at the PFA, did some research work around football clubs and they found, other than match days, clearly there was no interaction with local community. So they set up six pilot clubs in the northwest, of which we were one of them. Uh, initially, the very early days, Kevin Glendon um, managed uh, football in the community at City, but he quickly moved on to become the manager at Radcliffe Borough Football Club, which at the time, I think, was either owned by Bernard Manning and managed by his son. And then um, they interviewed and Bernard said, well, the type of person would be Alex Williams. So I interviewed and, and got the job. What, what was it like at the beginning? Because I should imagine what it was like back in those days and what it's like now as you move on and retire is very, very different. Absolutely. I think there was about four full-time staff at the time. Turnover was about 10 grand a year. 
Um, now we've gone to over 120 staff with a turnover of 3.5 million. Uh, in the early days, we had a rickety old Peugeot minibus because we had a connection with Peugeot. And it wasn't Peugeot's fault, but because Man City had no money, uh, the van was rack and ruin. And I was driving it to a school one day and got pulled by the police. And I got six points because all the tyres were bald on the minibus. <laughs> How different it is now. Um, yeah. I mean, you've steered the ship through this amazing journey. We as fans have watched the club change as well. I mean, how, how do you feel about your your journey? Is just It's a different version of our journey as fans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the few people from the inside. Uh, you know, Resty saw Bernard Holford would have been another one. Probably someone like Danny Wilson's been there a while now, not many others. And to see the transition is amazing. Uh, I always thought it would happen. I, I, many years ago, I used to always say to people, wouldn't it be great if we had some owners or, you know, uh, the club could transition and be as good as its community scheme? And to be fair, <laughs> they've probably done that handsome over the last sort of 10, 12 years. What, what would you say has made you the most proud in your life, Alex? Could be anything. Um... I would say the amount of lives we have changed for the better through City in the community. Um, some of the stories I hear about, you know, a young lad, Jamie Trugaskis, who was a budding young City player, uh, got cancer in one leg, had an amputation and, you know, was considering uh, committing suicide and came along to one of our programmes and is now one of the best amputee footballers in the world playing for England. Uh, there are a million and one stories, uh, even just ordinary people. There's a young lad who uh, works on the security guard at the main entrance of the club. Many years ago, we used to do after school park sessions and he was a, a bit of a scally, the kid actually. He was only about 14 at the time. He's now working full time for the club as a security officer. Uh, he's got a wife and kids and he says he owes that to CITC changing his life. I could go on for hours, you know, male, female. Mike Green, who's a CEO at Lommel in Belgium, started off as a volunteer. Mike Geary, the current head of the foundation, likewise. Um, and there's a million of one stories, but that that's the thing I'm proudest of most of all is people say how much CITC and through my direction has helped to change people's life for the better. You feel blessed? Um, I feel blessed in the fact I was given the opportunity to do the job um, because... I've always had a great rapport with people and the fans in particular. Uh, and I think one of the things most people will say about me is I will say hello and talk to anybody. I don't care whether it's, you know, Mr. Ferrancariano, the global CEO, or whether it's with all due respect, one of the cleaners sweeping the stand, I'll just stop and chat to anyone. And I think that's what people like about me. I don't pretend to be anything or anybody. I'm just a local lad myself. You've got an MBA. Who, who yeah. I mean, that obviously well done, but yeah. who presented that to you? Uh, well, at the time, it was His Royal Highness Prince Charles. But now when I speak to young people at schools and colleges, I can actually say I received it from King Charles III, which is uh, gets me a real brownie point with uh, the kids. Brilliant, brilliant. And you've now, along with Andy Buckley, former boss of mine, um, put together your life story. Uh, yeah. Was was that cathartic? I mean, what what was the reason you did that? Just to sort of close literally the chapter on your career? Uh, no, I did it because it was locked down at the time and I did an initial draft. And my sort of uh, grammar and spelling is very average at best. And I did it as a challenge to myself, first and foremost. Um, but one or two people read it. And there's a lot of things people don't know about me. 
because I don't tell anybody anything. You know, uh, at one stage I was two mornings a week going to Everton coaching potentially the one of the top three goalkeepers in the world, Neville Southall, because he'd heard about my goalkeeper training. Alan Hodgkinson, uh, his goalkeeping coach at Sheffield United and my former goalkeeping coach at City had a knee operation and he loved it that much. Howard Kendall offered me a three-year contract but I couldn't leave Man City and the job went to Chris Woods, the ex-Norwich and England goalkeeper. Um, you know, the fact I've worked with Casper Schmeichel, Wayne Hennessy, um, Kieran Westwood, Republic of Ireland, you know, that I was their goalkeeper coach along uh, with Andy Rhodes and Dave Felgate. You know, the three of us did a great job but I played a big part of that, especially the goalkeeping because when I was working with Casper, stood on the side, watching everything I did, was probably the greatest Premier League goalkeeper of all time, Peter Schmeichel. So how's that for pressure for you? Absolutely. Well, it sounds terrific. What's it called? How do we get it? Uh, it's called You Saw Me Standing Alone. And I believe if you go on www.alexwilliamsbook.com, you can get the details from that. Or I think there's stuff on the club website or... You know, you can contact me easily enough still through Manchester City. I'm sure if you contact the club, they'll, uh, you know, give you the details. Brilliant. I'll let you into a little secret now. During lockdown, I wrote my story. Now, I'm not as famous as you, but I actually read right my own life story. And I thought, if I never publish it, at least my sons can read it. Yeah. And they yeah. can find out all these little nuggets like you've just described that they perhaps don't know about. So it is cathartic, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure you've got uh, some really exciting stories to tell as well. Some of the people you'll have come across, uh, players, current and former players, um, and people want to read about those things. So mine's obviously a different slant because what I'm trying to say in the book is, you know, people have issues today around racism in society, not just in football. You've got homophobia, you know, you've got um, people's um, nationality, their religion, sexuality, etc., etc. And really what my story is saying is if you think, especially around race and things about today, read what happened to me and you'll be shocked. Uh, I saw a City fan just recently, won't be the only one, um, committed suicide through bad mental health. And mental health yeah. is another thing, isn't it? That's I, I guess you probably dealt with stuff like that during your career. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive thing at the moment through CITC, you know, our... Um, new strategy is using the power of football to address health issues. So, you know, we are trying to improve uh, healthy lives, healthy minds and healthy living of people within the area. So that's our new strategy with CITC. And we find using the badge and the, the brand of football is a great way to unlocking people and, and getting them to talk, which is the main thing, especially with males. Males do find it very difficult to talk about mental health because it's almost seen as a weakness and it's not everybody at some point has issues. I've got two more questions to ask you, Alex. Uh, not that that draws the line because obviously uh, you're going to be around. I know that. That's yeah. one of the questions which I'll come to in a second. But I've got to ask you, you presented a trophy on the pitch at the Etihad yeah. to the first, the current first team, the amazing current first team. What on earth did that feel like? Oh, it was amazing. Um, I think, what was more amazing was, well, one, I actually gave one of the trophies to early Haaland, which, you know, people would have paid millions for that. But I think it was the fact the club felt what I had contributed throughout the years 
was enough to nominate me to do that. That's what I was more pleased about because, you know, they can pick anybody. With all due respect, anybody can physically hand a trophy over, although it is a bit nerve-wracking, although I wasn't nervous. But it was the fact that the club recognised my contribution over the years and allowed me to do that. That's what I was most uh, pleased about. I can't think of anybody more deserving, Alex. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, we're quite rightly put statues up of David Silva, Aguero and Vinny and who yeah. knows, maybe there'll be Haaland and Pep up there. But yeah. although not everybody would think this way, certainly those who don't yeah. understand the club, I'd have no problem with a statue of Alex Williams outside that stadium as well because you are Mr Manchester City. Um, I hope your retirement doesn't mean that you're just going to disappear, and I don't think you will. So just give us an idea now what the future is for you. Um, well, recently I've been doing loads of podcasts, uh, TV interviews, uh, radio interviews. So um, I've got a little break coming up in Portugal. I'm not going to give dates out in case there's anybody listening, but uh, I'll have a little break in Portugal and then... Uh, Hopefully, by the time I get back, things will have quietened down a little bit for me. I'm still working at the club on match days. I've got the book coming out, circulating around uh, official support clubs. So if I've not contacted you yet and you want me to come along, please give me a shout and I'll actually come along, sign the books in person. Um, the club do a lot of uh, corporate events around matches, which I'm involved with. So I'm still doing a lot. I'll probably still be working two days a week in and around the club anyway, but just not day to day. I'm, We've got a great community scheme headed now by Mike Geary and uh, he's got a great leadership team and I'm sure they'll go onwards and upwards, especially while City continues to dominate on the field. Uh, Alex, I've known you since you were a player. I'm honoured to know you still and um, thanks very much for your time. Uh, enjoy your semi-retirement and yeah. uh, isn't it great to be a Blue? It is, especially now when long may it continue. So that was Alex Williams, MBE, and I'm sure you'll agree, well worth listening to everything that Alex has to say. Um, well, all I can say now is thanks very much for listening. We'll do another uh, another podcast, of course, same time next week. I've been putting up a couple of extra videos on the YouTube channel recently. Hope you caught the video version of Danny Tiato, uh, the former City, well, I call him a cult hero and player, talking about his life and career. And the Alex Williams uh, part of this podcast will also be available in video form and you can also share uh, either that or this podcast to your heart's content. And thanks to supporters like Motoring Lawyers, MotoringOffenseLawyers.com. Um, I'm able to do this all for free for you, free at the point of use. I'm like the sort of NHS, if you like, of, uh, of podcasts. So uh, thanks very much to the people who support me. It's really very well appreciated, and not least to you for listening, watching, and spreading the word. It really does mean a lot. And all the lovely comments that you send me, either privately or in public on social media, I can't tell you how much they mean. Uh, so thank you. So it just remains for me to say have a good week uh, in the absence of international football or rather in with international football in the absence of City. I'll be back at West Ham uh, Saturday, uh, that is this coming Saturday and I'll be doing a match day vlog and next weekend I'll be doing an audio podcast once again. So have a good week and remember this, if you only remember this from the podcast. Can't forget everything now, but I do remember him saying right at the end, it's great to be a blue and it is, isn't it?